People, welcome to Think Jewish. The Sunday of Aseret Yemei Teshuvah, the Sunday in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And uh, tonight's class, tonight's shiur, is about the order of our holidays. The Torah tells us on the first day of the seventh month is Rosh Hashanah. Actually, it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that it's Rosh Hashanah. But uh, that is the day of Rosh Hashanah. And then on the tenth day of the month is Yom Kippur. So before I get into the question, I want to just share with you the historical facts why Yom Kippur is on the day that it is. Because if you look at the day that Moses went up the mountain, right, the day after he, we had the Aseret HaDibrot, count 40 days, and that's when he came down and he saw the golden calf and he broke the Luchot. That would be the 17th of Tammuz, okay? Then he goes back up the next day again for another 40 days and he prays and asks God to forgive the Jewish people and Hashem tells him, I have forgiven them as, as you have requested. And what happens? That is on Rosh Chodesh Elul. He goes back up for the third time. Hashem tells him, come now and get a new set of Luchot. Count 40 days from Rosh Chodesh Elul and what do you have? You have Yom Kippur, the 10th of, of uh, Tishrei. So the 10th of Tishrei is actually the day that the Jewish people were completely forgiven because the definition of completely forgiven would not be just that God says, I will not annihilate the Jewish people, God forbid, but he actually gives them the second set of tablets. So Moshe Rabbeinu comes down with the second set of tablets on Yom Kippur, and thus that has become the gateway of atonement, and that becomes the day of atonement. That's the historical reason why Yom Kippur is when it is. However, the question tonight is that the order of holidays seems to be in reverse. It really doesn't make sense to have first Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur. It literally doesn't make sense. Imagine, you know, a couple breaks up, they, they plan to get together, and after they start new, and they're getting back together, and everything is, is lovey-dovey, now we're going to bring back all the things that we did and then start hashing it all out. It doesn't make sense. It should have first been Yom Kippur. First, we should have gone over all our mistakes that we've done and make reconciliation with God. And after God forgives us, then we should have Rosh Hashanah, new beginning. It really doesn't make sense to first have a new beginning and then bring back everything from the past, all the baggage from the past. So that is the question on the table, which we're going to discuss today, the order of the holidays. Rosh Hashanah, new beginnings. Ten days later, Yom Kippur, let's open up all the closets, look under the rugs, and start bringing out all the old baggage and start all over again what went wrong in the first time. Truth be said, that this question is not only about the order of the holidays, but it's also about the order of our prayers. Let me just use this opportunity. I do it with bar mitzvah boys and bas mitzvah girls. So let me do it now with this class. It's very important to understand the structure of prayer. It helps us understand the standing, the sitting, the order, the history, how it evolved. So prayer is defined as amida which is known as Shemona Esra, which is something that only Jews can do because Shemona Esra means 18 and today it has 19 blessings, not 18. Because there was a blessing added on when the Jewish people 
were suffering from the Jews that actually were uh, going against everything Judaism stood for. So we added on the prayer for Vilam al Shinim al So it's really 19 blessings. But be it as it may, Amida is the mitzvah of prayer. That is the mitzvah of prayer. That is what we ask God for our needs. We have the 13 opening blessings. We have, I'm sorry, we have the three opening blessings. We have the 13 blessings in middle where we ask for all our different needs. And then we have the three closing blessings from the modim, the ritzay, and so forth, okay? Now, what happened was that our sages told us that there's a biblical commandment that really has nothing what to do with prayer, and that is twice a day to say the Shema Yisrael. So our sages said, let's put together the Shema and the Amidah. And thus now in the morning, the prayer was made up of the Shema and the Amidah. If you learn Talmud or Mishnayis, you'll see right away that the rabbis instituted that you shouldn't just say the Shema. You should have blessings introducing you into the Shema. You have two blessings before, right? You have the Yotzeh Ma'orot and the Ova Mo Yisrael. And then you have the blessing after, which is the Goal Yisrael. You know what? You all sing, Mi That's the after blessing. So now we have basically set up for you, we have the Barachu, the two blessings before the Shema, the three parts that make up Shema, the blessing afterwards, and the Amidah. Okay? Now understand that before that, the rabbis say that add on, you should start with some chapters of Tehillim, you should start with some focus, and that's why we have what we call Psuke de Zimra, the verses of praise. Which, depending if you're Ashkenazic or Sephardic, depending if you start with Hodu or Baruch Sha'oma, but then, and then there's little details that I'm leaving out because Hodu isn't part of it, Baruch Sha'oma is a different point. But basically, I've just taken you from Hodu till Baruchu is the verses of praise, chapters of Tehillim, then goes the Baruchu, then goes the blessings of Shema, Shema, the blessing of Shema, the after blessing of Shema, and Amida. That basically became, as we know it, prayers. Now, Chabad starts at Hodu. There are other places where the Chazan doesn't start at Hodu. He starts with the morning blessings, which go also into the prayer of the Akedah. We mention the Akedah. We pray that that should stand by us in merit. We also talk about all the sacrifices which lead us up to the Hodu. Okay? Now, the question, the reason I took you through all these prayers is because Amidah is the intimate moment, right? It's the prayer of silence. So much so that our sages tell us that he or she who prays the Amidah loud is actually lacking in faith. It's a silent moment. Your feet are together as one. You stand as a servant before his master, before her king, and you do the Amidah. That is the intimate moment and prayer in Hebrew. The word tefillah doesn't really mean prayer. It means connecting. Letafel, become connected. That's what Amidah is all about. So now you finally you woke up and then you worked your way into a relationship and you have that intimate moment. What do you do right after Amidah? Right after Amidah comes Tachanun. Other people call it Vidui. Right? Ashabnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu. Right? We're doing the exact same thing we're doing with Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. The Ashabnu, Bagadnu. I'm sorry God, we have sinned, we have done bad. Should have happened before the Amidah. Before you have an intimate moment with the king alone in his throne room, first go ahead and take care of all the mistakes you made. So first we should have vidui tachanun, and then we should do the amidah. So here again, the order of prayer leads us to the same question. 
as the order of the holidays. The Amida would represent the Rosh Hashanah, starting new, having an intimate moment with God in the throne room. And then the Vidui, saying I'm sorry, right after that, would be like the Yom Kippur. So it seems to be that the order of the holidays are reversed. We should have first had Yom Kippur, clean up, make up, change of heart, and then Rosh Hashanah, new beginnings. Just like every single day, we should first do Tachanun, Vidui, confession, I'm sorry, and then Amida. Okay? So the question is reflected in both. To understand this, I want to introduce to you an amazing teaching of Hayom Yom. And we're going to return to this Hayom Yom because the way I've seen it in my own experience and the way I'm preparing the class, I think that this Hayom Yom has more than just one layer. But let's just use it for the simple understanding. The Rebbe of Blessed Memory writes in his book Hayom Yom, where it's a calendar and every single day has a teaching. One of the teachings he writes is as follows. He who is lowly and crass, coarse, does not recognize, identify his own loneliness, loneliness, loneliness and crassness, coarseness. Very interesting. It's amazing how people who are really egocentric and self-centered when you point out to them, they don't even know what you want from them. What, what, what do I do wrong now? What do I do wrong now? Everyone's looking at you. What, 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 what do I do wrong now? Because a person's going to sit down in front of everyone in someone else's house and put his feet on the coffee table is not going to understand why you're looking at him or her. So I just want to introduce this Hayom Yom and we're going to revisit this Hayom Yom. I just want to introduce this Hayom Yom to understand that before Teshuvah can even be done, there has to be done Teshuvah. <laughs> you have to have a Teshuvah before the Teshuvah. Because if Teshuvah is about your lowliness and your crassness, you don't even recognize your own lowliness and crassness. We all think that, okay, we all have mistakes, but am I any worse? I mean, I'm not something that you have to be so worried about because I don't recognize my own lowliness and crassness. So here's a very interesting point that before we even have Yom Kippur, we have to have something to even let us know what we need to do Teshuvah for. We don't even see it in the mirror. With that said and done, let's introduce two different Teshuvot. What was the month we had before Rosh Hashanah? The month of Elul. What is the month of Elul known for? The month of Teshuvah. So let's even ask a better question. Why have Yom Kippur if we already had Elul? I, I'm actually, I have this fault. And, and it's not a good thing. And I'm learning about it. I'm the type of person who'll say I'm sorry after I said I'm sorry after I said I'm sorry. So I apologize to you because I offended you. Then we're talking. We made up. And we're having a great time. And as you're leaving, I'm the person who will tell you, by the way, I just want to tell you I'm really sorry. And it frustrates people. Done. Over with. Don't keep on bringing it up. You got an issue with it? Do Teshuvah in your room. Leave me alone. I, I'm done with this. We're over with it. We made up. 
I understand why you did it and you didn't mean it, you didn't know, well maybe you did know, whatever it was, we spoke about it, it's done. Don't keep on apologizing to me because you just keep on bringing it up, let it go. So if that be your understanding, Yom Kippur would actually be a problem. Because if Elul is the month of Teshuvah, Rosh Hashanah is the point where God not only tells us but shows us, that's in the past. We started a new relationship. Bringing it back up on Yom Kippur is actually annoying. Why would you bring it back up? It actually would worry someone. Why are you still apologizing? I thought we got over that. I thought we are past that. Obviously you're not past that. That's a problem. So if I did Teshuvah and Elul, and I really did Teshuvah, and I'm asking God to forgive me, and God let me know in Rosh Hashanah that He unconditionally forgave me, we're in this great, beautiful relationship right now. Why would I bring back up, you know, Hashem, I, I know I spoke to you about this in Elul, but remember when I did that and that thing, you know, I spoke Lashon Haro, whatever it may be, all the sins that I do, I really want you to know that I, it really, I really feel bad. That would be not healthy to do. So why would we have a Yom Kippur if we have Elul? So obviously Yom Kippur and Elul is two different Teshuvot. I'm not revisiting Elul on Yom Kippur. That is done. Elul did what it did. Elul is the prerequisite to Rosh Hashanah. But once Rosh Hashanah happens, Yom Kippur is not telling someone, by the way, I just want to apologize again. That's not what it is. That's done and over with. Yom Kippur is a total different understanding, a total different teshuvah. Okay? I'm going to give you a, a type of metaphor which uh, I use sometimes. Talking about the loyalty of a husband to a wife or vice versa. Why? Why is there loyalty between spouses? The simple reason is because the price to pay is huge. Huge. Most people don't cheat just simply because they're afraid of getting caught. The price is wrong. It's just a very high price. Lose everything, lose the community, lose the whatever it is, lose the kids and the family. Uh, who knows what goes on, right? But truth be said, in a healthy relationship, why would one not cheat on the other? So to understand this, I want to tell you a more simple story. And I've shared this story before in, in class platforms. I have a cousin who, when we were already in, in college years, saw you wasn't coming on time or whatever, and one time, for whatever reason, the school came crashing down on him, and they told him he's kicked out for the day. Come back tomorrow. And he was really upset. And he was talking to me, his father, his father's going to find out. You know, at that age, I just asked him, come on, you know, at this age, what, what are you, what, you really worried about your father finding out? I mean, what's, what's your father going to do to you at this age? And he gave me an answer which was so mature. He told me, I'm not afraid of what my father's going to do to me when he finds out. 
I'm afraid of what I'm doing to my father when he finds out. His father tuition didn't come easy. The efforts that he put into his children didn't come easy. That is such a mature understanding of teshuva. That type of teshuva is not, I'm afraid God's going to punish me. It's not what my father's going to do to me. It's a whole different understanding. And the same between spouses. It's not about what's going to happen to me if I get caught. It's this relationship is sacred. And if my spouse is a true spouse, living completely, then how could I hurt my spouse by doing this? So it isn't about what's going to happen to me when I get caught sinning. It's about what's going to happen to the one I love when I get caught sinning. Now let's revisit two levels of teshuva. One level of teshuva can happen before a relationship. Before a relationship gets sacred and intimate, even if it's just a business, a deal, but in that relationship, I can already stop and think about what's going to happen to me if I get caught. However, the latter type of teshuva can never happen before Rosh Hashanah and before the Amidah. Because that relation, that, that teshuva is built upon understanding the relationship. There's no way that you can have that type of teshuva before you have Yom Kippur. I'm sorry, before you have Rosh Hashanah. You can't do that in Elul. Because you're not in a relationship where you're capable of thinking, what am I going to do to my significant other when they find out that I wasn't loyal? Because you don't have that type of sacred relationship yet. Only Amida on a daily level, only the Amida can bring you into a relationship with God where you're going to ask yourself if God allowed himself to be so vulnerable to me, what am I going to do to him if I'm not loyal? But that's not something you can have before the Amidah. You just got to meet someone. You're first starting to date. You don't even know if you both agree that you're going to be exclusively dating each other. You can't have those type of thoughts. It's interesting. Just parenthetically speaking, completely parenthetically speaking. You know, many people question how chassidim, after so few dates, you go ahead and you get married. I mean, in the normal world, if you don't date for at least two years and then play house for another eight years, how can you ever dream of proposing? You don't even know the person. So when I talk to people about that, I share with them it's all just a different understanding of marriage. Is marriage the foundation upon which you build love? Or is marriage the roof that you put on top of love? That's the question. What are you looking for? Are you looking first to fall in love, have love, live love, and then after a while when the parents start nudging, okay, 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 I'll buy a ring. 
That means that in that relationship, marriage is the roof on top of love. But in the Orthodox world, and especially by Chassidim, where you date so few, what you're looking for is the potential of love. Any Chassid who tells you that I proposed because I was in love is being foolish. How in love can you be after five dates in a public lobby in some hotel? Where you're going through, <laughs> and it's not even five dates. When I went out date, dating, so I asked someone, what are you doing the first date? This was the exact answer they gave me. The only reason you go on a first date is so that the second date won't be the first date. <laughs> That's all. That's all the first date is about. The second date starts dating. <laughs> that was the answer I got. So, you know, it's, it's just, you think about it. Any chassid who's going to tell you, oh, I was so in love. I just knew that this is the right one for me. Okay. No? What's the name of that one that, that shoots you with an arrow? Uh, what? Cupid. He was hit by Cupid. What can I tell you? Because by Hasidim, the concept of marriage is the foundation to which hopefully, if you can have a respectful relationship, if you can learn to, to whatever, just be a mensch to each other, number one, and then from there build beyond that, then you're going to be building love. And that's why a fiddle on the roof, when he comes home with this genius question, do you love me? Her answer was very simple. For the last X amount of years, I've been mending your clothes, cooking your food. Why? Now, if that's not love, what is? So love isn't this, this dating season, you know? What did someone tell me? The best way to break a good friendship is get married. Depends what you're looking for. So understand that one type of teshuvah, one type of teshuvah is the type of teshuvah which is pre-relationship. So it's impossible in that stage to say to each other that the reason I'm loyal to you is because I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt the sacredness of this relationship. What sacredness and what hurting? So Elul is pre. Elul is the foundation to a relationship. But the more intimate level of Teshuvah of Yom Kippur must come after Rosh Hashanah. After 10 days, after the 10 days of Teshuvah, and that type of relationship that we have in the Rosh Hashanah and the 10 days building up to Yom Kippur, and it ends with, you can culminate with Yom Kippur. That type of relationship that we have with Hashem, to be able to face our shame, to be able to face our darkest betrayals, and to face it with the absolute trust in God's unconditional love and compassion for us, that leads up to Yom Kippur. I, I want to repeat this again. So you have Rosh Hashanah, and then you do the Sedet Yimei Teshuvah. What is the Sedet Yimei Teshuvah? The Sedet Yimei Teshuvah is facing, not, not overlooking, not pushing away, not sweeping under the carpet. These are the 10 days where you're going to face your deepest and darkest shame. The sins that not only you didn't tell anyone else, but you don't even tell yourself about them no more. You push it away, and the only cure you have is denial. And now in these 10 days, you're going to face them. Why are you going to face them? You're going to face them because you absolutely trust, after Rosh Hashanah, you absolutely trust God's unconditional love and compassion to you. 
You know, I'm a father of six children, God bless them. There is nothing, nothing more rewarding to me that tells me that with the help of God, I'm doing something right with my children that only happens to me in the moment when my child comes to admit to me something that is so deeply shameful, asking for guidance, asking for help. A child that does that to me tells me what? It tells me that he trusts in my unconditional love to him or her. Because the reason why we don't say things to people is because we're afraid. What's going to happen in our relationship? Will he still look at me the same way? Will he still love me the same way? So when a child can turn to a parent with something that's so deeply shameful, frightening, vulnerable, that shows the father that he understands the relationship. For 10 days, that's what we're doing. In the month of Elul, we were taking care of the more, what should I call it? You know, what's the difference? There, there's a misdemeanor and a, uh, a felony. So uh, misdemeanors are smaller ones, right? So Elul, we're dealing with the misdemeanors because we don't want to really deal with the felonies, so to speak. Because we're too ashamed, we're too scared. But after Rosh Hashanah, after God has proven to us that I am unconditionally here with you. My shoulder is exactly where it always is for the moment you're ready to put your head back on my shoulder. So for 10 days, what's the type of teshuva we're doing? We're dealing with the most shameful parts of ourselves. We're dealing with the things that we don't even look ourselves in the, in the mirror eye to eye because of these things. And now we're comfortable in being able to tell Hashem. I shouldn't use the word comfortable. But at least we trust enough to be able to tell Hashem, Hashem, there's something I want to talk to you about. There's something I want to A, admit to you. Not because I just want to do confession. Jews don't have confession boots. It's because I really need your help, Hashem. I can't deal with the fact that I did it. I can't deal with the fact that I can't stop doing it, whatever the, whatever the situation is. So here you go for 10 days. From Rosh Hashanah, this begins. Now, once Hashem is there for you, I, I don't know if you ever have had this. I don't know if you've ever had to turn with, to your parent with something which is earth-shattering, and then your parent passed the test with flying colors. Yeah, maybe you you, your parent fell off the chair, had a total meltdown. But bottom line, got back up and rolled up their sleeves and was dear absolutely unconditionally for you. After that, when you look at the parent then, now you're beginning to understand what Yom Kippur Teshuvah is. Because now to go ahead and stab your parent in the back is not about what your parent's going to do to you. 
But to know what you put your parent through, absolute hell and back, and they were there for you through thick and thin. And now you're going to think to yourself, what? And after all of this, I still betray them? A different type of teshuva. This is a teshuva that can only come after the Amidah. This is a teshuva that can only come after Rosh Hashanah. It's very interesting and I can elaborate on this. But those who experienced it, I don't have to elaborate. And those who haven't experienced it, at best I can ask for you to academically understand it. But the day where a person hits their own rock bottom, that's a terminology borrowed from addiction, but at the time when a person hits rock bottom, shattered, where suicide is a thought because it's just, where do I turn from here? And then you turn to a parent and tell them the two beautiful Hebrew words, Allah panim, I'm over with, I'm done. And then the parent is there for you through all of it. It's very interesting what happens after that. See, what happens after that is that the feelings of abandonment don't leave because abandonment is a disease. It's something that you got to work on. That's a feeling that you need help for. But one thing you know deep down, that this parent isn't abandoning you. Because when all the chips were down, all the chips were down, and you called the parent, they have proven to you that they're there. Now think about betraying this parent, which we're going to do anyway. We're human. But think about how the teshuvah happens now. Total different animal. Yom Kippur is a total different type of teshuvah that Elul is not. And why is it not? Because Elul is pre-relationship of Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is post-relationship of Rosh Hashanah. So the type of teshuvah that drives you in Elul is a teshuvah of fear. Most often, the fear of punishment. What will happen to me if I get caught? The fear of Yom Kippur is a total different type of relationship. That's a teshuvah that is energized by intimacy, sacredness, loyalty of a relationship. And then you ask yourself, how could I? very different question you don't even dream of excuses in Elul you have to fight with yourself because we are so amazing with coming up with excuses so it's a very hard job the entire month of Elul to just tell yourself very frustratedly cut it out just cut it out stop with the excuses but in Yom Kippur if you had a real Rosh Hashanah and you had a real Aseret Yimei Teshuvah, Yom Kippur, you're not struggling to tell yourself to shut up with the excuses because that isn't even part of the arena. You see, if I'm worried about me not getting punished, then excuses is a great thing. But if I'm worried about hurting God's feelings, so to speak, 
then what difference is the excuses? I want to revisit again the difference in Rosh Hashanah and Kippur on a different level. So the first level we're talking about is that Rosh Hashanah Elul is the pre-relationship Teshuvah, which is mostly focused on what's going to happen to me if I get caught. Then comes Rosh Hashanah and the Aseret Yimei Teshuvah, which we really f- see firsthand how God doesn't abandon us. Even when we crossed 20 lines of no return, God won't abandon us. And when we come crashing down and we break out and we just cry to God and we trust God because we know ultimately that He unconditionally loves us and He unconditionally has compassion to us. And no matter what we've done, if we're willing to come back, He's willing to have us back. Then comes Yom Kippur, which is the reaction to that, the reflection of that. That's a teshuvah that's driven by intimacy, by the sacredness of the intimacy that God offers us, by the loyalty, by the unconditional. Now I want to just take it to another level. I'm going to share this because these are my own thoughts at this point. You know, in recovery, we talk about sobriety and we talk about recovery, and they're two separate things. Sobriety is just looking for stop sinning. If it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's sex, if it's chopping, if it's eating, if it's whatever it is, working. Sobriety means just stop sinning. Recovery isn't about stopping to sin. Recovery is healing the cause. What's going on here? So acting out is a sin. The feeling of abandonment is a cause. So sobriety is telling you stop acting out. Just use tools. Pick up the phone, go visit, go to a meeting, whatever it may be. Recovery is telling you deal with the feelings of abandonment. I'm just taking examples here, by the way. I was thinking to myself if we can do the same thing with Elul and Yom Kippur. I was thinking to myself that Elul is more about sobriety. Sobriety is not about mending a relationship. It's not what sobriety is about. Sobriety is about stopping to do the things that are destroying our lives, whatever it may be in our life. Recovery is about mending. And recovery for a human being is going to have to be at some point or another is going to have to be the mending of a relationship because as far as I understand and I'm not not Freud and I'm not uh, Viktor Frankl but as far as I understand every single scratch that is really deep within our soul is the outcome of a problem in a relationship Again, I'm not talking about clinical stuff, which is uh, bipolar or stuff like that, but I'm talking about things, things that we need to heal on a therapy level. They happen to us in a relationship, primarily with our prime caretakers, which is our parents, principals, teachers, 
people that were primary caretakers in our life. So what really happens is on Yom Kippur, when we talk about the recovery, not the sobriety, but Yom Kippur, we're talking about the deeper recovery level of my relationship with my higher power. We're not talking about stopping to do what's wrong. That's one thing. Again, this is my own little Dvatorala, so take it at face value. Yom Kippur is a very different process in the relationship with Hashem. And before Rosh Hashanah, you can't even entertain that thought. Before Rosh Hashanah, it's all about white knuckling it, fighting for sobriety. Post Rosh Hashanah, when all of a sudden there's Rosh Hashanah and I said it, you made Teshuvah, and suddenly we have strong grounds to challenge our perception of abandonment. Because for Rosh Hashanah, for 10 days, Hashem is showing us something else. Yom Kippur is, is peeling the layers of the onion. It's more than just, okay, I got to stop doing this, and I got to stop doing that. I have to start doing this. I have to deal with my ego. I have to deal. It, it's a little bit deeper than that. It's going to the very core of what's wrong in the relationship I have with my higher power. It's really challenging your understanding of your higher power. One of the things I shared with the shul and Rosh Hashanah was that our feelings of abandonment from God is the outcome of our misunderstanding His unconditional love and kindness. It's as a child who misunderstands the parent refusing to give him a knife to play with when he's screaming and crying his eyes out. Every feeling of abandonment I have with God, not so with my parents. And I don't mean Maya's Navrumi. Not so with our parents, because they're human. But with God, every feeling of abandonment that I have with my God must be the outcome of my absolute misunderstanding of His unconditional love, kindness, and selflessness to me in our relationship. Yom Kippur is dealing with those issues. And that's why Yom Kippur, by Hasidim, it's very different. There are those on Yom Kippur that they take out their, the black book. And they start going through all the sins and mistakes and shameful things we did. That's what you do, a whole Yom Kippur. By Hasidim we don't. Yom Kippur begins with the meditation of what does it mean to have the high priest, the center of all souls, to be in the holy of holy, the center of all places, on Yom Kippur, the center of all times. When you realize that unity, that essence unity, the essence of soul, the essence of place, the essence of time, uniting with God, that's the Hasidic focus and meditation and concentration on Yom Kippur. 
Ah, you're going to ask me one second. <laughs> That's a beautiful meditation. But where's the teshuva? The teshuva is that after 24 and a half hours of really meditating on that, then you ask yourself, how could I? Remember what I spoke about, the Yom Kippur relationship? The intimacy, the sacredness, how could I? This is what he's offering me. This type of relationship. The ultimate unity of oneness and essence. How could I? That's the final cracking moment for Yom Kippur, for a chassid. So thus you understand, in simple layman's terms, the focus of a chassid on Yom Kippur is all about the true unconditional relationship with Hashem. And then you start questioning all your feelings. Every time you ask of yourself, Hashem, why always me? Hashem, right? Caught again, fiddle on the roof. Can't you pick on someone else? Can't you choose someone else every once in a while? All those feelings, those feelings of abandonment. For everyone you have a zivug. Where's mine? Everyone finds a parnasah. I remember when the Rebbe cried by this verse in Tehillim. Where it says, even the bird finds a nest. And then the Rebbe went on crying. And said, but we the Jewish people are without our nest already for oh, 2,000 years. So the Rebbe did it in a very healthy way. The Rebbe didn't feel abandoned. He was talking about the exile. But how many of us point a finger? How many, how many of us feel that we are wronged by God? How many of us feel that God would have just offered me a real unconditional love? What I would have been today. Yom Kippur, it's time to visit all of that. That is the ultimate teshuva of Yom Kippur. The misunderstanding of this unconditional relationship with Hashem. That only comes after Rosh Hashanah. That comes after Yom Kippur. That comes after I was able to turn to God like a child who really trusts his or her father with the worst painful news about themselves. Asking for help. Knowing that the father is trustworthy. And then we turn to Hashem. And then we ask Hashem forgiveness. For what forgiveness? Not for what I did, but for what I felt. How could I have felt abandoned by you when you've held me tight in your hug, your comfort, your protection every minute of my life? That's Yom Kippur Teshuvah. That has to come after Rosh Hashanah. People, thank you.